Hello, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of One Vision. Joining us today is an old Twitter friend, someone I had not yet had the pleasure to meet in person, but hopefully I will fix that soon this year. It's gotten founder and CEO of Supply Chain Now. Welcome to the show, Scott. It's about time. Theo, hey. <laughs> thank you so much. I've really enjoyed uh, all of our collaboration, learning from you. Uh, as I was just saying, I really have learned a lot from your point of view and a lot of your expertise you put out there. And heck, we've, we've had a lot of fun on a couple we different uh, live streams and shows, right? Yes, we did. <clears throat> we did. And we'll get to that because one of the new ones that you did is actually, it was it was loads of fun. And I learned a lot every time I chat with you. So I appreciate it. Um, before we get there, can you tell audience a little bit about what you do prior to starting your own company and having your own series of podcasts? Sure. So I, I spent um, um, a little over 15 years uh, in the end-to-end supply chain space, right? Especially in the manufacturing space. I love uh, the manufacturing industry. And, um, you know, a lot of what, uh, from what I did in the industry, I love talking about it and sharing news and, and stories and issues and, and voices and all of that is what, you know, prompted me to eventually found a supply chain app. That is super cool. And then along with that, you have Supply Chain Now podcast. And then the new uh, series is called This Week in Business History. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, sure. So, you know, I really, at a, at a real high level, I think uh, the most important thing we do at Supply Chain Now is give visibility to industry's most pressing challenges and issues of our day, right? Especially from that global supply chain perspective. Um, you know, I've long, if, if I've learned anything in the last few years, it's so much of what we got to address and do is unfortunately in our blind spot, right? So, um, but you know, what does all that mean? So Supply Chain Now founded in 2017, uh, award-winning digital media platform. Uh, it encompasses all sorts of content, uh, including, uh, and I'm very humble about this, but uh, the world's number one global supply chain podcast, aptly named Supply Chain Now. But we've got you know, podcasts, live streams, webinars, uh, virtual events, uh, thought leadership campaigns, you name it, on a variety of global business uh, topics as well. Um, but I think one important thing for your listeners, uh, Theo, um, is we define supply chain very holistically, right? Uh, if you, if you um, bolt it down to a few words, maybe, you know, sourcing, manufacturing, logistics, warehousing, fulfillment, transportation, and one thing we may talk about later on, is reverse logistics because all of us consumers like returning things. So all of that is how we kind of define global supply chain. And hey, we're big supply chain nerds and love talking about it and elevating uh, global supply chain conversations. Oh, I think I'm going to learn something new, reverse logistics. You're right. We do do that. And I remember, um, recently i wouldn't say recently a year now two years whenever you buy things from amazon now you can return it at local co's at um uh whole food stores and and everything it's like you think about the universe that we have and how we consume it's changed quite a bit hasn't it in the last few years it it sure has and and um that presents quite quite a challenge uh, in global business and especially for global supply chains, right? Um, 
as I was going to mention, um, my dear friend, Tony Shirota, he heads up the Reverse Logistics Association, and we've collaborated for a number of years now uh, on podcasts, kind of a series within a series on the returns management and reverse logistics um, industry. Because unfortunately, kind of like that blind spot statement from earlier, he calls it the dark side of industry because it does not get any attention. Most folks aren't aware of kind of how returns have to be processed and the uh, and the complexities that adds to global supply chains, kind of the invisible, unfortunately, aspect of industry. But we're working hard at supply chain now to really lift that up and and create more awareness around what we as consumers, right? Because all of us, as my dear friend and fellow host Greg White likes to say, in global supply chains start and end with consumers, right? So the choices we make and how that impacts not just the returns aspect of global business, but also Global, uh, global supply chains and how they work and what the demands and the pressures and the expectations that are placed on them, right? So we as consumers play a very active role. Talk about expectations. That does um, <clears throat> resonate a lot, especially consumers. We we expect things to just work. Right. Um, you buy something, you expect it to show up when it's supposed to show up and you expect it to just work flawlessly. If you have a question, you expect to be able to get support. I mean, there's a whole slew of things that happen with it. And and I remember um, just recently and, and before the show, we were talking about um, holiday and what we did over the New Year's. And, and I, I bought a set of shelves from a retailer and, and that experience was, was really interesting and eye-opening because it's been a while since I bought furniture. And I remember placing the order and then towards the end of the order, it asked me if I want to get a quote from TaskRabbit to have an installer come in and, and help me put shelves together. I'm like, oh my God, sure, why not? I'm five foot and the shelves are it's 93 inches tall. There was no way on earth I could have done it. And um, and so the, the whole experience, things that we didn't have before, right? In the old days, you would get your box of furniture and then you'll struggle with instructions as we always do. Somehow we'll manage through, but now you purchase the item, you schedule to install it in, you know exactly how much you're going to pay, you know who you're getting to come in and do the installation, you know what time, you're able to set up a one-on-one -on -one communication with them and things just happen like right. magic. It, Supply chain is magic. I think that's what I'm going to call this. <laughs> there we go. And, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer in that. And and it's really been cool. I, I got to tell you, when I look back at, at uh, the journey we've all been on and, and, and my personal journey, you know, when I arrived in Atlanta and uh, began working in that um, uh, geographic uh, industry in that market, um, I was facilitating a lot of tours for an industry association. And I learned a ton about a variety of operations and really – that's when I became a big supply chain nerd. And it's been really cool to see kind of how a large population of global business has appreciated supply chain and what it does. And now kind of whether for good or for bad, it's that golden era of supply chain where everyone knows, you know, what we're talking about when we mention that word again, for good or for bad. Um, that's been kind of cool to be a part of uh, as, as that's evolved. So, um, there's so much more that we can do better to your point um, about uh, consumers and about um, what uh, supply chain, what businesses, what e-commerce, what uh, your modern industry offers consumers. 
As I tell my kids, they have no idea how good they've got it these days because it's like you, you press a button and you have what you want, right? Exactly. And the next day, sometimes in the next two hours, I do question. I don't think we always need something in the next two hours that presents a different kind of issue. But yeah. you're right, right? Even if we're not talking about physical good, even thinking about digital, right? Streaming, everything is on demand. You want it right away. I remember in the old days when you need something, you have to go to the store and you have to ask someone and maybe go search for a few days before you can find what you need, wait for it to come. Or if you want something on TV, you wait. It happens once a week at the exact same time. You have to sit and wait. And now everything is on demand. And I do wonder if at some point we will go back to perhaps slowing things down so we can actually enjoy the experience of it. I don't know. Um, but we'll see. We'll see what our, uh, if your, your crystal ball is accurate. I think, uh, I think there's a big element. And there's certain companies that are specializing in slowing things down. So we'll see how things evolve. Um, hey, one quick thing, Theo. You know, one of the last times you joined us, and I, and I mentioned about uh, this week in business history, because I think learning from the past, as you're kind of alluding, as we're both kind of alluding to, is so important, right? I think learning from, from past mistakes, past successes, um, we, we all can learn so much and can gain so much from that. So this, this, this week in business history is a series that was dedicated, I think we were three seasons in, you know, 55 episodes or so in, to a, a weekly series dedicated to looking back and especially finding those stories that from business and you know, where business intersection business and history intersect that folks aren't aware of, right? The stories of Rose Knox. So I think you and I chatted about, um, and you were part of a, a great experiment where we took those stories live and we interact with folks that also are big business history fans. So we'll see what, what's to come, uh, with this week in business history, uh, in 2023, but I appreciate you being a part and also look, you know, joining us, looking back and, and giving us your observations on, on what, what we all forget from time to time. And I, I love that show. That was such a brilliant concept. Um, we talked about, I remember we talked about Mountain Dew. We talked about Cabernet. I think that was like a special day for wine. How did you yes. come up with that idea anyway, to start with, like, you know, to talk about history? Uh, you know, I'm a big, his, I'm a big fan of history, big fan of, especially the storytelling um, especially, I, I don't know. I mean, we're, we're both entrepreneurs. I think that, um, a lot of, um, uh, motivation, inspiration, um, encouragement, even I find in those past stories of folks that had it so much tougher than we do and how they persevered. Um, so I think that that's a big part of it. Um, and you know, I think there's a lot of fellow history fans out there. Um, you know, business history is such a big bucket, uh, and, and, and it was really cool to intentionally leave it, you know, leave it to be a big umbrella. So it wasn't just about, you know, supply chain history or technology history or something like that. And so, it, I mean, also, aside from just the production side of it, it gave me an excuse to, to study every week. Right. You know, because those episodes took, you know, four or five, six hours at a minimum to prepare for. So, um, you know, telling the story of Mountain Dew and how it came across and, you know, how it came to be uh, was really interesting. Getting your take, you know. You dropped. We'll have to drop the uh, episode to the to the live that you joined us. But I loved your take. I think it was on live stream where you were talking about, "Hey, the kids are okay," 
and one of your big, what you've learned here in the last few years as we've all been challenged with the pandemic and we've observed how our kids have responded to that. So, you know, you look at history, uh, regardless of the lens, and it, it just creates so many neat op- op- um, conversations that we all can learn so much from. I can agree more. And I think it gives us an appreciation of where we are as well. And um, it's hard to do that sometimes because if you look back at 2022, for example, it was a crazy year, (laughs) to say the least. Um, We're trying to come out from the pandemic. I don't know if we were actually out of the woods, um, but certainly things were starting to go back to normal a little bit. A new normal. We talked about changing nature of work. And then the war came and then, you know, recession and then the layoffs. And I mean, a lot has happened and yet there were bright sides to the year. I mean, we made some progress with respect to sustainability. We made some progress with respect to inclusion. We all became more aware of what we need as a society. Um, We're not where we need to be, but I think baby step, baby step is a good thing. So if you were to name a song or find a song that represents the year that was the good and the bad and the ugly and the crazy, what would that be? Um, what a great question. Um, and I was chatting with some, with some uh, friends and, and some family members uh, earlier and Corey Comer said it should be the final countdown. And he was kidding, of course. He was kidding. But, you know, at days it felt like that. Um, I think optimistically and posit- positively uh, thinking, what song came to my mind was Lean On Me, you know, the classic by Bill Withers, because, you know, there's, there's lots of different ways I think that applies. But really for me, no matter where you are in your journey, these last few years have, I think has taught so many people that, They've got to lean on others. They got to lean on family members, team members, um, you know, uh, industry stalwarts out there, whatever, to get through uh, the most challenging of times. And to take it one step further, I think folks that that like Bill Withers sings, "Lean on me, I got you, I got your back." Hey, um, blessed are those folks, right? We all need those folks in our journeys. I cannot agree more. I love that song. I think I'm going to have it in my head for the rest of today. And that's not a bad thing, actually, because one of the things I love about following your story and your journey online is you just come across as one of the most genuine person and looking at what you share always actually give me a smile from, you know, things just random bird pictures, I think I remember, or animal pictures, to like your Friday posts. You always talk about, you know, good news posts. And then to what you share on your weekends when you go to farmer's market. Like, this is like a normal person on the other side of (laughs) the computer that I never met, but yet I feel like I knew you. So tell us a little bit about that, because not too many people do that. They they tend to have like a business side. This is all I'm going to talk about. We're just going to talk about supply chain and AI and that's it. And then there will be people who 
I don't know, post all kinds of things. And you have a really, really good mix of the two and you're very passionate and intentional, I would say, and bringing people together. So how do you do that? First of all, secret sauce. And then what are some of your favorite stories mm -hmm. that you've shared through the years? Uh, first off, Theo, thank you. That, that makes my day, my week, my month. I can't wait to share that with uh, my family because it, it really is really important to me um, that a lot of what we, when we create content, right, that it comes from that real genuine, transparent, um, um, deliberately positive point. doesn't mean you shy away from the tough conversations, right? That's not how we attack some of the, the heavy lifting that, that you alluded to earlier that we still have to do. But, you know, uh, what I have found in my career, and I think it carries over into uh, how we create conversations here at Supply Chain Now, is we've got to, at times, respect, have the debate, but respect all parties. It doesn't mean tolerate things you shouldn't tolerate, but at times, uh, agreeing to disagree uh, and, and continuing to move forward that's how I've, I've approached a lot of our content, even if we're talking about some of the toughest conversations. And, and, you know, as you and I both know, the last few years, really, thankfully, we've had to have some of those tough conversations, right? That's where we've gotten some of the, some of the progress that you alluded to earlier. But from a mindset standpoint, I think it's so important that to know and embrace that there is good, and even on the worst of days, if you go looking for it, you can always find some good news. And that's what uh, that's what I've really enjoyed sharing over the last couple of years. Um, and I've got a couple of examples. But before I, I share a couple of my favorites, Theo, how does that resonate with you? I mean, when you think of um, the mindset that you take into, you know, having some of the conversations that we all have to have as business leaders, what's your approach? I like what you say, um, to be respectful to the point that we can agree to disagree. I think that's an art. And, and I use that same approach even in my personal life because I don't always agree with everything, you know, how my friends do and what they say. And But if you respect the relationship that you have with that other person, then you say, okay, I hear you, but this is what I think, and it's okay, we disagree because... At the end of the day, if all of us agree with the same thing, the world would be so boring, we would never be able to make any progress. Right. We can progress because we are able to challenge each other. And that's a good thing. But what I found on social is sometimes people just want to disagree because they want to be provocative. Right. Um, and it's a fine line, right? You want to create conversation. You want to move things along. But you don't disagree just for the sake of you don't want to agree with people and you just i don't know um it's it's interesting I, I see all kinds of dynamics and personalities playing out as well yeah I, you make so, a lot of good points there i think one of my favorites you mentioned that you know if you can't disagree with people if, if you're agreeing with your team or or some colleagues or some collaborators if you're agreeing on everything you really have a surface level relationship right you're really because uh, as humans, <laughs> we all have different DNA. We all have different takes. There's, uh, especially when you think about all the different uh, topics and discussions we're out there, both the easy stuff to talk about and then the more challenging. So, you know, I would be encouraging your listeners to, uh, you know, I've had, I had a former mentor told me one time, 
A conflict a day keeps a doctor away, right? Find, find that one constructive disagreement you can have each day that all parties benefit from. And I think, you know, some days are tougher than others to, to subscribe to that, but there's some truth there, I think. I, I believe so. I agree. I agree. Um, there are things that I, th I think, as you mentioned, the heart conversations, right? You know, for example, a lot of the things that we start to look at is the topic of ESG, the topic of sustainability. What does it mean to be sustainable and whose responsibility to do what? And how do we do it in such a way that can allow us to progress as a society, but it benefits all of us that it does not put certain groups at a disadvantage. So all of these are tough questions to have and, and important things to discuss, but until we can bring all the parties together and until we can agree on what we need to do, it, it will be hard to make progress. But once we can get past that hump, once we have that difficult conversation, and that's how we can progress as a society. And I think that's remarkably, that's hopefully what technology can enable us to do more is to bring all these voices together, to bring all of us together when we cannot be together and find ways forward. And that's my hope for 2023. Uh, man, amen. And preach it louder for the folks in the back. Babe. I love that. And I think both of us would agree here, I think. Um, and I know you'll tell me if you disagree, but you know, the best bridge builders, they don't compromise and they don't tolerate what shouldn't be tolerated out there. There's there's also an art to handling that. And sometimes that's being really frank and um and and making sure all all parties are protected. Um, but you know, I'm a big advocate that you can always find ways to protect your values and bridge um, and, and, and build bridges so you can make progress and move forward. So I think that's a really important uh, deliberate aspect of, of how I approach business. Um, but on the easier side, um, when I'm th when thinking of good news, right? And, and for me, it creates a positive mindset. It helps me. Um, it's like, I think it's important that we have like an undying faith in humanity. Right. I think on some tough days, that's really important. So a couple of my favorite examples in the last couple of years, one that I love read. I've got the story saved on my on one of my computers and I reread it every every uh, now and then because I get inspiration from it. But it's the story of one Mr. Henry Darby. Now, Mr. Henry Darby was a principal at North Charleston High School. And uh, a couple of years ago, in, the, in kind of the height of the pandemic here in the U.S., this principal who's got a tough job. He took on a part-time night job at Walmart just so he could donate that extra paycheck to some of the students in need. Man, if we had more Mr. Henry Darby's in our society and humanity, wouldn't we all be better off, huh? Wow. Oh my goodness, that is that is an amazing story. And where's he find the time? So I love that story. Um we were talking earlier about the intersection of, of business and history, but I would add maybe the intersection of business, history, and sports. I'm a huge Atlanta Braves fan. Uh, and earlier this year, I, I reflected on, um, of course, the one and only Hank Aaron's uh, uh, breaking the all-time home run record, right? And one of my favorite elements of that story is um, a lot of folks, and 
whether you're a baseball fan or non-baseball fan or sports fan or not sports fan, a lot of folks may not understand that in the run-up to the breaking that record there in the mid-70s in 1974, Hank Aaron was getting all sorts of vitriolic messages, hate mail, death threats, you name it. And yet he still had to go out there in public and perform and perform at a high level, you know? And so when he finally broke that record, both of his parents were in um, were in attendance in April 1974 at uh, the old Atlanta Fulton County Stadium. And he would say in a uh, post-game interview, uh, his mother Estella almost broke his neck hugging him, right? Because he finally did. He broke through. And he said he didn't know that she could hug that hard. But could you imagine, you know, if my son or daughter or um, family member family member had to put up with all of that negativity, just sheer hate. Let's just call it what it is, sheer hate, but yet still persevered to become an all-time great. I, I would probably break my kid's neck too, hugging them so tight. You know, I'm sure you can relate to that, huh? Oh my God, that is inspirational. Um, stories where people can get past the obstacles and the barriers that are put in front of them. And despite all of that persevere, those are always amazing stories to tell and to learn from actually. And it reminds me of entrepreneurship, right? Something that you and I have gotten the path on starting your own business. Um, and I'm sure a lot of those who are listening can resonate is not an easy journey. It is lonely. Um, and I will be lying if I say in the past five years, I hadn't thought about, oh, what if I just go back to corporate? What if I just, you know, <laughs> go back to something more stable? I don't have to worry about, you know, continuing and, and doing what I'm doing. Um, starting a business is, is, is not, is not easy. Trying to think of what you want to do, um, and balancing out your purpose and keeping the lights on. That's also not, not easy. I'm preaching to the choir. Um, I'm curious for you, if you could have gone back in time, do you think you would have chosen a different path? Uh, well, first off, I'm so glad you resisted the urges because we wouldn't have an incredible content vehicle like Unconventional Ventures, nor the best-selling book of my right shoulder, which is Beyond Good. So I'm so glad you kept persevering. And, and congrats on, on the success of the book. I, I hear a number a second book's coming up soon. Uh, so I'm glad you, you persevered. We're all better off for it. Um, I, you know, I love reflecting. I think, I think there's so much power in turning off all your digital devices from time to time. You know, find you a good people watching spot. Or for me, I'm a big bird. I'm a big bird nerd as well. Uh, and I love watching in the backyard. I, finding a way to disconnect, but then reflect and intentionally engage, uh, think about your day, your week your big challenges, your big successes. But, you know, as I reflect back, um, you know, whether it's the successes or the failures, it'd be tough to change things because they form who we are and, and they also form um, what we need to know, even those toughest lessons that come on those days where things do not come anywhere close to <laughs> playing out like you think they would. But it'd be tough to, to figure out how to change the path uh, for me. Uh, so I'm going to say, just for the sake of uh, conversational sake, uh, uh, the sake of conversation, I wouldn't change the path. 
Uh, I would, I wish if I had changed anything, I wish I had followed my passion earlier, right? Uh, for a long time, I was creating content, especially via the webinar format, just kind of as a hobby on the side, you know, for, for years and years. And I wish I had acted on my love of facilitating those conversations and made it a business earlier. Wow. You know what, though? It's never, what do people say? It's never too late to start for those of you who are listening. Um, and I am glad you, you are doing what you're doing because, as I mentioned, I love your content and I love how you bring people together. And guess what? We still have many years ahead of us. I know. Regardless of all of those headlines out there that talk about curing aging, aging is not a disease. And we are living such a different life and much longer, healthier life. And so we have opportunities, opportunities in front of us to do something different, opportunities in front of us to learn something different and to create more opportunities for others to, to be on different paths. So I am all for that. Um, I do, I do want to ask you though, because I had this similar conversation with a few people recently, um, especially with the changes in the nature of work, more people rethinking, what are they doing at work? Should I be doing something different and start looking at starting their own business, trying to do something different, be your own boss in a way, but you know, have a say so in the direction where you want to go. How can we do more to encourage that, especially for those who are not in the major uh, metropolitan area of San Francisco and Boston and New York, or even in Atlanta or Denver, right? For those who are not in the big cities, what can we advise them to do? So that is certainly a trillion dollar question. And, and, and that even is kind of callous because these are personal journeys we're talking about with fellow entrepreneurs that uh, want to make their mark, right, on, on global society, really. Um, and it deserves, the question I think deserves its own series. We could have a 17-year <laughs> series dedicated to this topic. So, but a couple of thoughts that come to my mind. I think, first, firstly, and you're a great example of this, as entrepreneurs, we got to always be looking for ways to help, connect, support, enable, empower other entrepreneurs, especially those that don't have maybe the advantages that uh, that you have, whether you have a lot of advantages or, or not many. You know, there's always someone with less. So I think consciously looking for ways you can do that. And, and even, you know, we, we have something here at Supply Chain now we're talking, you know, we, we sign off every show usually with do good, give forward. And be the change in that, in that middle phrase of giving forward, uh, coined by Greg White, um, we try to act on that. And that really implies giving bef before you make it big, before you make it kind of big, before you make it even small, uh, very intentionally and practically giving forward, giving resources, giving time, attention, love, elbow grease, you name it. And I think that's a big part a uh, big thought that comes to my mind when we talk about creating opportunities for all. I think the other big thought that comes to my mind, Theo, is um, we just did a show on the digital divide with our mutual friend, Rob Tiffany, who uh, is doing some really cool things with a nonprofit to help bridge that gap. Um, and there's so many different layers to that gap. So when I think of folks outside the major metropolitan areas, major cities, I think about 
that unique angle on the digital divide, you know, and, and how can investors and startup incubators really, you know, the whole entrepreneurial echoes, uh, ecosystem get better at tackling that aspect of digital divide for, for potential founders and startups. I think we've got to get more intentional there, especially in, as you mentioned earlier, how, how the, how work is done in, in this current era and how can we better bridge um, that aspect and, and provide more resources, connections, technology, uh, better voice and vehicle and wherewithal? Um, that's going to be a big, certainly a big question moving forward in, in the months to come. I can't agree more. Digital inclusion is is a big passion of mine because I think, especially given what we have seen and experienced collectively in the last three years, we couldn't have kept doing what we were doing if we were not digitally connected. Kids wouldn't be able to continue to study and get classes if they were not online. We saw how difficult it was reading stories about kids trying to get a Wi-Fi connection outside of a 7-Eleven, for example. That's heartbreaking. And so for us to move forward, regardless of where we live geographically, I think getting people online, giving them affordable access, that is the key for us to move forward together when it comes to innovation, when it comes to entrepreneurship, when it comes to learning. And we keep learning, right? We, we don't stop learning. Um, and so an exchange of ideas, all of that requires a digital connection. And so when we look forward um, to this year, what are some of the things that you're tracking when it comes back to supply chain? And uh, what are you most hopeful for? Um, if I can, so for fellow entrepreneurs, if I can, Theo, I got to share this. I got to share this. Um, not only because it's really important, but also because I just saw the Seinfeld episode about the ugly baby. I don't know if, you, if you're a Seinfeld fan, but uh, anyone listening, whether you're uh, a wannabe founder, right, and you're getting your plan together, if you're a new startup, a new entrepreneur, or if you're down the journey, um, find a mentor or advisor that will tell you you have an ugly baby and give you that brutal, honest truth. You'll be better off for it, even if often days that you got to take your medicine, right? Trust me, that is million-dollar advice, billion-dollar advice. Find someone that will give you the honest truth. So, put that aside, uh, the new year. Um, we, you know, we talked a lot about, on the front end, reverse logistics uh, and returns. Um, let me add, because uh, this is going to be a growing, and, and it's already been a growing, it's going to be a continuing big aspect of global supply chain to keep your eye on. So get this every January, as we all know, you may, if you're like most consumers out there, you're returning products, right? It's after the holidays. Uh, according to the National Retail Federation, the rate of returns in the U.S. doubled just from 2019 to 2021. Their data, and that, and that data is continuing to grow. I'd love to see what the numbers are this past year. But their data showed that $761 billion worth of goods were returned in 2021 alone. Um, unfortunately, and this is where we've got some work to do, the majority of these items are never resold. So, of course, we've got to do a better job there. We've got to do a better job as consumers. Let's not, you know, 
if you have you ever heard of the um the the practice called bracketing, Theo? Mm-mm. No. All right. So with e-commerce, this was a, a very common uh, approach. A lot of consumers uh, took advantage of where they if they liked these certain green shoes, but they didn't know if the green shoes ran large or ran small. Then they'd get three different sizes, and they they'd get delivered. They try them all on. They keep the one that fits best and return the other two. Well, we gotta not we can't do those types of behaviors anymore. That creates a ton of waste. And again, a lot of these products are never put back on the digital shelf, so to speak. So uh, tracking reverse logistics and returns uh, is certainly one thing. Cyber attacks, I'm preaching to the choir here, I'm sure. Um, Gartner says cybersecurity tops CIO budgeting once again for 2023. As some folks have told me, we'll, we'll see if they spend that <laughs> in on that area. Um, some say uh, the cost of cyber crime worldwide has hit some eight or eight, uh, seven or eight trillion dollars. Holy cow. But what's inarguable when it comes to cybersecurity is the sheer quantity and complexity of attacks, you know, universally, but especially on global, uh, global supply chain will continue to increase, right? Wow. That, that is enormous figures. And, and yes, to your earlier point about um, the returned goods, the, the bracketing. Now I learned a new word. It, it does create an immense amount of waste from point to point. Rem- imagine from the point of, of procurement, right? Creating the packaging, sending it, and then returning it. it we need to be generating less waste, not more. Yeah, love that. Dale, you're, you're a step ahead most um... Uh, maybe a couple steps ahead, as as I would expect, maybe um, most consumers out there, because so many folks may focus on the product, but as you point, it's all the indirect waste, you know, the shipping, the final mile, the, in, in, the coming, and then the pickup, whether you they pick it up from your home, the return, or you drop it off somewhere, creates an, a, a huge, massive amount of waste that we all got to get better with. Um, but, you know, on the flip side, so, so reverse and returns and cyber, you know, those are, are big challenges um, that we are going to have to get better at addressing. But on the flip side, when I think of the new year and I think of um, of the optimism and it's like starting over, you know, every year, every year in January, you've got an opportunity to rewrite your story. Because as you said, Theo, it's never too late. It's never too late. So I love this Benjamin Franklin quote that I came across and I'm hoping that we all can follow this better. And that is, quote, be at war with your vices, at peace with your neighbors, and let every new year find you a better person, end quote. If we can all follow that advice, the world will be a lot better place. And that's something that we should probably renew every month. It doesn't have to wait for the new year. We, it, in digital world, let's retweet that every single day. Um, I love that. I, I, I love that. See, every time when I talk to you, you just make me feel so much better. Like there is hope. In this world, we just need more humans. We need more humans like you. Um, so thank you for that, Scott. Before we let you go, I want to sum it up 
um, with one fun question. I never ask anyone this on their show. Mm. If we would, if you could sum up your outlook for 2023 this year with one dish, let's talk about food. What would that be and why? Wow. This fun question is like, uh, it's like giving me a math question. It's going to be really tough for me to figure out. Because we but... never talk about food, right? We talked about <laughs> soft drinks. We talked about sports. Right. We talked about wine. We talked about books. About I love food? it. Let's talk about food. <laughs> we have a lot of kindred spirits and all those uh, topics. Uh, and, and you didn't mention F1, which, of course, uh, you're a big fan of. I have to get, I have to learn a lot more about that sport uh, from you uh, in the weeks ahead. But um, anything comfort food is is a thought that comes to mind so whether for who wherever your listeners are and whatever that means to them for us and my family i think of spaghetti and meatloaf uh, chicken and rice you know those dishes that um maybe we grew up on and it, it kind of does more than just nourish you like uh, physically but also mentally right well, maybe one definition of comfort food because I say comfort food because there's going to be, uh, there will continue to be plenty of discomfort in global supply chains and greater industry in 2023 and beyond. So you got to find, find your comfort and your peace and your serenity wherever you can find it. So you can be fueled up to go out and, um, and drive the change that we all need in business and beyond in the new year. That is perfect. And if our listeners would love to follow up with you or listen to your podcast, where would they be able to find it, Scott? Wonderful. Uh, you can check us out at supplychainnow.com or as uh, the obligatory disclaimer, you can find Supply Chain Now wherever you get your podcast from. Thank you so much, Scott. And it's always fun chatting with you and catching up with you. And for the rest of our listeners, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of One Vision. We will talk to you all next week.